Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I am Rabbi Barry Chesler, and today's Daf is Masaka Ketubot Kalp Zion, Tracte Ketubot, Folio 27. Yesterday, we took up the Mishnah about the possibility of an imprisoned woman who is released returning to her husband. The Mishnah asserts that she may return to her husband only if she has been taken for ransom. Rav Shmuel on the Talmud restricts this only to cases where Israel is stronger than the non-Jewish nations. An objection is brought by Rabbah in the form of a case, where Yossi Kohen and Rabbi Zechariah ben Akatsav permitted a woman who was pledged in Ashkelon to return to her husband. It is important to note that the language of the Mishnah is Nech in prison, whereas the language of the case is Surhana, pledged. So on the top of our daf, Talmud asks, there is a distinction between the two words such that the law would be different. The answer is no. The same law applies to Nechbashah, but the case was what it was, and we do not draw inferences from it for other cases. There are those who say that Rabbi said, we have also learned in the Mishnah that Rabbi Yossi Kohen and Rabbi Zechariah ben Akatsav testified about a Jewish woman who was pledged in Ashkelon, and her family distanced themselves from her. The witnesses testified that she was not alone with the man, nor did she become impure. And the sages said, if you believe she was pledged, believe she was not alone, nor became impure. But if you do not believe that she was not alone, nor maintained her impurity, then do not believe that she was pledged. And this Ashkelon was a case of money, but the reason for the sages permitting her was because of the testimony. But if there were no witnesses, they would not have permitted it. Is that because there is no difference between Khorhana and Nakhbasha? No, Khorhana is different. It is possible to establish a contradiction, for we learn in the Mishnah, for money she is permitted to her husband, meaning it is not an issue of witnesses. And they object with Rabbi Yossi testified, etc. And this Ashkelon is about money, meaning it is an issue of witnesses. Is the reason they teach witnesses so that if there were no witnesses that the answer would be no, she would not be permitted. The resolution is stated by Rabbi Shmuel by Rabbi Yitzchak. There is no difficulty. Here Israel is more powerful than the nations of the world, and there the nations of the world are more powerful. In the first case, a woman is permitted if it is for money, but in the second case she is forbidden unless there are witnesses who testify about her. The Talmud now quotes the second part of the previous Mishnah, that if she is captured for the sake of killing her, she is forbidden to her husband. Rav comments, for example, the wives of thieves who have been sentenced to death. They are considered hefker ownerless, like all the other property of these thieves. Levi said, like the wife of Ben Dunai, whose first name Rashi tells us was Elazar and who was a murderer, whose wife in fact was treated as hefker. But in the cases of thieves sentenced to death, the government does not treat as hefker everything that belongs to them. 
Hezkiah said they are treated as Hefker only if he has been sentenced to death. Rabbi Yochanan said even if he has not yet been sentenced to death. The next Mishnah states that a city that is conquered by siege, all the wives of Kohenim found there are psulot, meaning forbidden to their husbands. But if they have witnesses, even a slave, even a maidservant, people whose testimony is normally not acceptable, they are believed. A person's testimony about him or herself is not reliable. The Talmud points out a contradiction. In the case of a troop that comes to a city, in the time of peace the open wine jugs are forbidden, because we presume that the soldiers use some of the wine for Abodazarah, idol worship, but the closed ones are permitted. In a time of war, however, they are permitted whether they are open or closed because there is not enough time to offer a wine offer. But Mari says there is enough free time for sex, but to offer wine offerings there is not enough time. And therefore, it is not clear why women should be permitted to their husbands. Rabbi Yitzchak bar Eliezer said in the name of Cheskiah, Here we are talking about a troop from the same government. There, a troop from another government. In the former case, the soldiers are not interested or allowed to plunder the city and the women. But in the latter case, the soldiers of the other government do not care whether they do damage to property or people. An objection is raised to this distinction because even in the case of the same government, it is impossible that one soldier might not feel so bound and ravish a woman. Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, this is the case where the soldiers are under guard who watch how they behave. Still, might a guard not those off for a few minutes and therefore allow a soldier to ravish? Rabbi Levi replies, it is the case where they have put chains around the city and dogs, branches, and geese as a means of guarding. Rabbi Abba Barzavda said, This is a controversy of Rabbi Yehuda Nasiyah and the sages. For one says, In the one case it is a troop of the same government, and in the other case it is a troop of a different government, so there is no difficulty. And the other raises these objections. They resolve the contradiction with the statement about the chains, the dogs, the branches, and the geese. The next sogya begins with the statement of Rabbi Eddie Baravin in the name of Rabbi Yitzchak Bar Ashian. If there is one hiding place in the town, it saves all the wives of priests, meaning we assume that all the women hid there and may thus return to their husbands. Rabbi Yirmiya asks, suppose it is only large enough to accommodate one woman, then what is the law? Do we say that each woman who comes before us is the one who hid in the hiding place? Or perhaps we do not make that claim. How is this different from the case of two paths, where one is pure and the other is impure? And one walks on one and engages in pure things, and one does not know which path he took. And the second person took the other path and also engaged in pure things, and does not know which path he took. Rabbi Huda says, if we ask them separately, they are both pure. But if we ask them together, they are both impure. Rabbi Yassi says, in neither case they are both impure. Rabbi, and some say Rabbi Yochanan say, at once everyone agrees they are impure. One after the other, everyone agrees they are pure. They only disagreed with how they come to be asked. One master compares it to Babadachat at once, and the other to one after the other. And because they permit all the women, it must be compared to Babadachat. So here too, since they permitted all them, it is like Babadachat. But is that so? In the case of the two paths, one is certainly impure, but here who can say that the woman became impure? Ravashi asked, if a woman says I neither hid nor became impure, what is the law? Do we say, why would I lie like this? Or perhaps we do not say that. 
How is this different from that Masa, that case, the man who sold the donkey to his friend and told him not to go by way of the river Pagod because there is water there. Go by the way of Neresh where there is no water. He went by way of river Pagod and the donkey died. He came before Rava. He said to him, Yes, I went by the river Pagod, but there was no water. Rava said, Mali Shakir, why would he lie like this? If he wanted, he could have said that he went by way of Neresh. Abai said to him, We do not say Mali Shakir when there are witnesses. How now? There certainly there were witnesses that there was water. Here it is certain that she is impure. It is only a suspicion, and therefore we can rely on Mali Shakir. The next figure takes up the part of the Mishnah which details who can testify on behalf of the woman that she maintained her purity. The Mishnah states, even a slave, even a maidservant. The Talmud asks, even her maidservant, is she reliable? They point out a contradiction. In the case of a man who is divorcing a woman conditionally, she is not to be alone with him unless there are witnesses, even a slave, even a maidservant, except for her maidservant, since she is familiar with her, so that her presence would not prevent the woman from sleeping with her divorcing husband, thus rendering the get invalid. But Poppy said that with captured women they are more lenient, and therefore her maidservant could testify. But Papa said in the case of her maidservant, she is not acceptable testimony even in the case of captivity, but his maidservant would be relied upon. But her maidservant would not be acceptable. We know that a man may not testify about himself, which would mean that the maidservant could testify. This is pushed aside with the statement that the maidservant is like the woman. Ravashi said both of these have to do with her maidservant. The maidservant sees but does not say anything. There, where silence permits, she is not believed. Here, where silence forbids, she is believed. In the case of the divorcing woman, we do not believe the maidservant because her silence permits the woman to remarry when the get has been invalidated. Here, her silence is to the disadvantage of her mistress, so we believe her testimony, since we assume that she distinguishes between not telling the truth by remaining silent and actually lying, misrepresenting the truth with her words. Talmud objects and says, so now she will come and lie. But this is rejected because these two sins, hiding the truth and actively lying, we do not suspect her of. This is similar to the case of Mari Barasik, and some say Hana Barasik. His brother came from Be'echoza'ah, a place for the, far from the Jewish settlement in Babel. He said to him, Divide with me the property of father. He answered, I do not know you. He came before Rav Chesed. He said to him, He spoke well to you. As it is written in Genesis, Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. This teaches that Joseph left before he had signs of age, and now he has them. Rav Chesed said, Go bring witnesses that you are his brother. I have witnesses, but they are afraid because he is a violent man. He said to the other, Go bring witnesses that you are not his brother. He said, This is the law. The one who wants to take from his fellow has to produce proof. He said to him, This is how I judge you and all of your violent friends, that I turn the obligation to provide proof to you. Now witnesses will come and testify falsely out of fear. They will not do these two sins of hiding the truth and actively lying. Let us say that this is like the Tanaim. This is a testimony of a man and wife, male child and female child, father and mother, brother and sister, but not son and daughter, not male slave and female slave. 
And there is an alternative baraita. All are believed to testify about a captive woman except for herself and her husband. The opinions of Rav Papa and Rav Ashi are the Tanaitic view. Is it possible that Rav Papa's view also is Tanaitic? Rav Papa would say to you, it is like that baraita when one testifies in innocence. This is like the case when Rav Dimi came from Mary's sister Ale. He said Rav Hanan would say a case came before Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Some say Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi would say a case came before Rabbi about a man testifying in all innocence. And he said, I and my mother were captives amongst non-Jews. I went out to draw water. My mind was on my mother to gather wood. My mind was on my mother. And Rabbi allowed her to marry a Kohen on the basis of the son's testimony. The next Mishnah records the statement of Rabbi Zechariah ben Akatsav as an oath. By this temple, her hand did not move from mine from the time the non-Jews entered Jerusalem until they left. They said to him, a man may not testify about himself. There is a Baraita, and nevertheless, even though he is forbidden to his wife because he was a Kohen, he did not divorce her, but set up a house for her in the courtyard. When she went out, she went out in front of her children, and when she went in, she went in behind her children. Abai asked, can one do this with the divorcee of a Kohen? There they said with captives they were lenient, but here not. Perhaps there is no difference. Come and learn, as we learned in the Brita, one who divorces his wife should not live with a new wife in the same neighborhood. Until tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.